is the ultimate God. I hope you're enjoying this series. I am I am loving this year. What's next? Thinking about the fact that Christ is coming back. This is good news. This world, listen, for those of us who believe, this is as bad as it gets. This is as bad as it gets. One day Christ is going to return. Peace, joy, life, laughter. This is this is the downside, y'all. It's only going to get better. We have so much to look forward to. Until that time, He's with us. He never abandons us. He is always available. He's living. He's alive. He's active. He's at work, and we get to be a part of it. That's good news. Amen. Tomorrow, I want to talk about having faith in that. I mean, do you really believe that? I mean, is it is it actualized? Is it authentic? Is it, is it really happening for you? Or have you done what, what, is, what is easy to do, which is to try to put God in a box? Got to have your God box, you know? And whenever you need something, you go open up the box and say, okay, God, I need you. Oh, I'm going to put you back now. Now i got to go to real life. You know, i got to go to work. i got to raise kids. i got to go deal with people. And then every now and then you go back to your God box on your God day. That's not authentic faith. God calls us to live a life of faithfulness, to live in Him. And we need Him because we're living in a world that is constantly in flux. We are living in a world that is unstable. Everything is changing. Everything. We're changing. America is changing. Uh, All of the world is changing. Government is changing. Business is changing. Technology is changing. Everything is changing. We need something that will stay. We need something steadfast and strong. We need something that we can anchor ourselves to that is a foundation that will not be moved. And that only foundation that we can truly count on is Jesus Christ. Everything else is slippery. Everything else will will lead us to slide into the darkness and turmoil that that only comes in a world where there's no fact, where there's no objective hope and, and truth and reality. Some of you guys will remember this. You've heard me tell this story. Uh, When I was 11, my dad was teaching my big brother how to drive, so he thought he should go ahead and teach me at the same time. And so I learned how to drive at at about uh, 11 uh, 11 years of age. And then when I was 12, I was driving driving pretty good. And and, uh, one of the things I loved to do is I used to love to go fishing with my uncle. And we would also uh, often go to uh, Percy Priest Lake there in Nashville near the airport there. And... Um, one one day we were fishing and it began to pour down rain and my uncle said we got to get out of here and so we went uh, back to the bank where the where the car was and and he said okay look I'm going to back the car down it was a beautiful beautiful white Ford Pinto beautiful and uh, so he he backed it down and he said you know well we got to get out of the way there were cars there were people trying to uh, rushing and get out of the rain he said here's the deal I'm going to pull the boat up I'm going to hook it up. And then you just you just pull us on out and then get us out of the way and then I'll I'll take over from there. I said, cool, no problem. I've done that before. So you know he backs it down. He goes. He, gets, he jumps in the boat. He brings it around. He connects it. I have the brake on. I pull. I let go of the emergency brake. I have it in drive. I put the gas and we go forward just a little bit and then we start to slide. Where there was rain, that moss and that extra weight began to pull the car backwards. I pushed the gas even harder, but it didn't matter because by then that beautiful, beautiful white Ford Pinto was floating. I noticed my uncle in the back was disconnecting the boat. He was untying this stuff, and he's doing the same. I'm thinking, well, where's he going? And so meanwhile, I'm trying to get this thing to go forward, but we just kept sliding backward and backward. Uh, I realized that that I was in trouble when I looked out the, the windshield and I was underwater. 
And my genuine thought was, my mother's going to kill me if I die. At that point, I thought, we need to abandon boat, abandon now ship, right? And so I tried to open the door, but because of the water pressure, I couldn't open the door. And so I thought, well, this is it. And a white Ford Pinto of all ways to go, right? Um, then I realized, okay, I can roll the window down. They weren't electronic, so I rolled the window down, and I was trying to get out, but all this water came piling in on top of me. So imagine this, a 12-year-old in Percy Priest Lake in a huge rainstorm, underwater with water pouring down inside, of, you know, inside the vehicle. So I just thought, well, I'll just wait. So the car finally filled up. I got one gasp of air, and I swam out of the, the beautiful vehicle that was the white Ford Pinto. And I looked up, and I couldn't believe how far I got. It was almost to, like, what, if you look up, you see the ceiling. It's about how far I was from the surface of the water. I couldn't believe we'd gotten that deep that far. So I swam to the surface. I got there, big gasp of air. It's pouring down rain. There's boats everywhere. People are freaking out. And I, I, I can't believe it, but I was, I was 100 more yards or more away from the embankment. I had to swim to get to the embankment. I couldn't believe how far I had slid away, how far I had gotten away from the embankment. And I got out, and I just remember I was just standing there next to my poor uncle. I mean, what do you say, right? So sorry I sunk your car, Uncle Byron. You know, the thing I, I remember about that is, is just being shocked at how quickly I got underwater and how quickly I got far away from the embankment. And I think that same thing is so true of life and faith. How easy it is to begin to slide away from the Lord. And how once we begin to get in those cold, murky waters that, that are this world, which is separated from the warmth and safety of God, how easy it is just to slide into that darkness that will drown you out. And I was mindful of that need for this foundation. You know, in life, in life there's only one sure foundation, and that's Jesus Christ. Everything else is going to change. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It's one of my favorite verses. Um, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus doesn't change. Everything else in the world is going to change. You're going to change. I'm going to change. Health's going to change. Job's going to change. Government's going to change. Everything's going to change. Jesus doesn't change. Jesus before time was Jesus. He was the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. He is the same Jesus that he was in the Old Testament. He is the same Jesus during the Inner Testament. He is the same Lord God, second person of the Trinity after his coming and resurrection. He is. He has always been. He is God. Jesus is the same today and forevermore. He is. He has always been Jesus Christ, and he is a sure anchor. Again, Hebrews chapter 6, look what it says. Beginning verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, talking about heaven here, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. Jesus Christ is the anchor that will not be moved. He's gone before us in heaven, and he's going to return for us one day. He is the one that will not change. He is the solid foundation that we will not slip on. He is the one that we can depend on. He is the one that, that we can brace our eternal selves on, and we will not slide into the murkiness and the coldness of this dark, dying world. We can stand on Him through anything, through every season, through every challenge, because He is God, and He is good, and He is love, and He is with us, and we can have faith in Him. And we need faith in Him. We need an authentic faith. Listen, it's not enough that you believe what your mom and dad believe. It's not enough that you're believing so that maybe your children might believe. It's not enough that you believe what culture believes. 
you've got to believe. What we are trying to do here at Living Hope is simply this, to lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. Because He's the only one who remains. If your life and your hope is on anything else than Jesus Christ, then your life and hope is being built on something that will not remain. If your life and hope is in your child or in your marriage or in your job or in your looks or in your health or in any other created thing, then your life and hope will one day die. But if your hope is in Jesus Christ, then your hope is eternal. It's living. If your life is in Jesus, then your hope is eternal. Then your life is eternal and it's living and it's active and it will remain forever. Paul, in our text, is writing to the church at Thessalonica. And he's talking to them about this faith, this reality, this hope that we can have, this life that is ours. And he's concerned about them. He's concerned that they are slipping away. He's concerned that the persecution and the problems that they are facing will cause them to slide away from God and they will lose their footing and they will get lost in the cold, wet darkness of our world. And so he sends Timothy to inquire about their spiritual health and to speak to them and challenge them. And what we see happening in this interaction is what is necessary in order to have an authentic faith. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're working verse by verse through 1 Thessalonians as we, as we talk through this series of mapping out um, the, the, the future, these opportunities that God has given us. And today we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17. And Gracie Seddon is going to read for us. So Gracie, coming up, let's all stand in honor of God's Word. She's going to read from uh, chapter 2, verse 17, through chapter 3, verse 5, which I'm going to preach on today, God willing. Gracie, go ahead and read that for us. But since we were turned away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I fall again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus and his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our enjoy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel, Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent him to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the temper tempted you, you and your our labor would be in vain. The word of God. Well done, Grace. If you would go ahead and be seated. Let's talk about this text. See, one of the core needs of every Christian is to have an authentic faith. I cannot, I cannot overemphasize how crucial it is, those of you who claim Christ as your Savior and Lord, that He be your personal Savior and Lord. It's not enough that He's mine and I'm your pastor. It's not enough that, 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 that He is the Lord of your, of your children or of your parents or your grandparents or your friends. He is, he is of no use to you if He is not your personal Lord. If you do not have an established, authentic faith, one of the core needs of every Christian is that we have our own established, authentic faith. It's also a core need of every parent that we create an atmosphere, an opportunity for our children to have established an authentic faith. There's nothing more important a parent can do than to make a disciple of their child. 
As a matter of fact, one of the greatest joys and responsibilities of a parent is to make a disciple of Jesus Christ out of your child, out of all of your children, so that they can be disciple makers. It is a core need of every Christian parent that we be able to help our children establish an authentic faith. And then one of the core responsibilities of every Christian is that we be leading others to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. There is no greater calling that a Christian has than to be a witness for Jesus Christ. There are many things that you and I are going to do in our lifetime. Only one thing remains, and that is what is done for the glory of Jesus Christ. The one thing that will remain is the salvation of Christ that enters into every soul. Our greatest responsibility where we work, where we live, where we work, where we go to play and hang out, is to establish an authentic faith so that others might believe and anchor their life and hope in Jesus Christ. Establishing an authentic faith that requires several things, and we see those in our text today. So I want to encourage you to take notes as we talk about this this morning. The first one to note is this. Establishing an authentic faith requires relational investments relational investments. Developing an authentic faith will include other believers in the process. Understand, God designed it that way. God designed us to be in relationships with other believers and non-believers. This is a part of God's plan. We need to be intentional about these relationships. They need to be relationships where they're investments. And we all need each other. Understand, every believer needs someone who is preaching the truth and teaching the truth to them. Listen, I preach to you every Sunday morning, but do you know that I listen to preaching all week long? I have other men who preach to me. Every week, right now, there are three men I'm specifically listening to. I'm listening to Dr. Tony Evans. I'm, I'm listening to Dr. Alistair Beck. And I'm listening to, to uh, Dr. Uh, Tim Keller. And these men preach to me. If you see me out running on the road, typically someone's preaching to me. Uh, if you see me uh, you know, somewhere sitting out and I've got headphones, someone is preaching to me, typically. Because we all need someone who is preaching the truth of the gospel to us. We also need someone who's teaching not just preaching and, and exhorting, but also explaining it in, in light of our lives and, and in, the, in the light of the reality of what's going on in our world, that we understand it in the correct context. We need, we need people who are preaching to us and teaching us. We, we, also, we also need people who love and care for us through hurts and hardships and also good times. We need people who will be there for us, who can remind us of what we believe. Listen, if you go through a miscarriage, you need someone who will be there to remind you that God is sovereign and still loves you. If you go through a marital strife, you need to be reminded that God is there and He's the God of peacemaking and He can create peace for this conflict. If you lose your job, you need to know that God is sovereign. He's got a plan for your life, an eternal plan for your life. And typically, the enemy is going to work against that and you're going to need someone other than a family member to be able to speak that truth into your life. And we also need accountability. We need accountability, especially in days of plenty. See, when, when we have our health and our job and our, our family is doing relatively well and our friends are doing relatively well, we have this tendency to think that we can do without God. And we need people who love us enough to hold us accountable to remind us that we are weak-willed creatures in need of God Almighty to be at work in our lives. In those moments when we think we've got it all figured out, we need people who love us enough to tell us, no, we don't. 
you do not know what, what tomorrow holds. So you need the one who holds tomorrow to be holding you, and you need to be holding him, and you need to be faithful to him. And we need that accountability. We need those relationships. We need people who are able to speak that into their lives. Paul says here in the text, he says, I felt torn away from you. I felt that Satan was hindering me from you. He felt the need to to learn about their faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted them. He had invested in them. And look what he says. He says, you are our glory and our joy. See, Paul knew what is true of all disciples is that they needed relational investments. They needed people. Here's some important questions I want you to ask yourself today. I want you to wrestle with these questions today and, and, and even this week. Question one, who do you have in your life that is investing in you and cares about your spiritual development? Who is investing in you? Who is equipping you outside of me? Who is someone you know who is investing in you, who cares about your spiritual development and is praying for you by name that you will grow spiritually. Secondly, who are you investing in? Who are you seeing after? Who are you walking with and talking with that they might grow spiritually? Who who do you bring before the throne of grace and ask God to work miracles in their life that they might believe and live a life that loves the Lord Almighty? Who are you investing in? Who's investing in you? And and, and who are you investing in? And and then who is it that you rely on when it all comes down? A a way to ask this question, here's the question I want you to ask. Who's your 2 a.m. call? If the world falls apart, if your world falls apart at 2 a.m. this morning, who do you call? And that person, are they a strong Bible-believing, born-again follower of Christ. Because when you hit the fan, and the fan hits you, you need to know that you've got someone who will be there, who will point you to the Lord and provide strength and hope and healing with the the Word of God. Uh, Our strategy here at Living Hope is to create that. We have a real simple strategy. There's five things that we do here at Living Hope. We worship, connect, serve, equip, and multiply. We worship every Sunday, and the purpose of our worshiping is to praise, to pray, and to send into the preaching of God's Word. And to do that corporately, so that it's multi-generational, it's multi-racial. We come from all different perspectives, and we all come here to worship the one same God, to be encouraged to live the life that He's called us to. But there's certain things we can't do in this environment. You ever notice, I don't have a question-answer period. I would love one, we just can't be here for five hours, and I would be here for five hours because I live for this, I love this, right? And everyone else wants to go eat, I don't know. So, we have to create a connect environment. And every believer in Jesus Christ needs to be connected with other believers where you're able to discuss your personal faith with the, with the Word of God teaches and be praying for one another. You need to have the interaction, not just of corporate worship, but in a connect group where you're connecting. You need to be serving. You need to be using your gifts and abilities to lead other people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. That may happen inside the church. It may happen outside the church. But what service is, is leading more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. It may be teaching. It may be parking a car. It may be singing. It may be greeting. It, it, may, be, it may be serving coffee. Whatever it is God calls you to, it is for the glory of His great name that you might help others be uh, able to understand and anchor their life in hope in Jesus. One that a lot of folks assume, but that I'm, I'm, I'm concerned don't take serious enough, is the, is the need to be equipped. Listen, I, I, a couple of times a year, go and equip myself. Uh, there are times I'll go take doctoral courses. There are times I'll go to seminars. Um, 
a lot of times when I go on vacation, um, I, I take a seminary course with me. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but do you know that you can go to iTunes U, iTunes U, and download an app, and you can load in uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, Southern. So you can download the name of the seminary, and there are courses that you can download for free, and you can take seminary courses. I do that why because I need to be equipped. We want to equip you as believers. That's why on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, we offer equipped classes. I'm teaching a spiritual disciplines class right now on Sunday night. We have other pastors and leaders that are teaching classes on on gospel-centered parenting, on gospel-centered marriage, on the Old Testament, New Testament, theology, all of these things. We need to be equipped so that we can know what we believe and why we believe it and how we can understand it according to God's Word. And we got to multiply We've got to lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. Now, the thing I want you to notice about this is none of this happens in isolation. All of this happens in relationship with other people. And this is exactly how God designs it. God designs us to be connected with other people and to invest in them relationally. Establishing an authentic faith requires relational investment. Second is this. Establishing an authentic faith requires regular checkups. Regular checkups. That's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's in essence providing a checkup on these believers. He sent Timothy to find out about their faith and their commitment in light of the challenges that they are dealing with. You know, right now I'm teaching a, a group of guys how to preach. Uh, we've got four or five guys in our congregation. Uh, one will stay here. Uh, the others we will be sending out uh, pretty soon to go and preach and be pastors at other churches. And that's a part of our plan. And we're equipping them to do that. And, and they're asking me some really good questions. It's almost like a checkup for me in a lot of ways. One of the guys asked me, what are you trying to do every time you preach? And, and I, I thought we all knew this. And so as I began to outline, well, we, we teach, we encourage, we, we challenge. Uh, you, I thought, so I want to make sure you guys know what's going on every time we get up to preach. There's four things we're doing. We're teaching, helping, challenging, and encouraging. So every Sunday when you come to worship, this is a checkup. You need to be asking yourself, do I know this? Do I need help with this? Do I need to get get, off, get out of my comfort zone? Do I need to be challenged to get on with this? Do, do I Have I lost my motivation? Have I forgotten why we're doing this? And be encouraged. Every every Sunday is an opportunity for a checkup. Not only that, there are also specific Sundays, like next Sunday, when we're going to receive the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a checkup time. It's a time to remember how it is we became followers of Jesus Christ, but it's also a time to take an assessment of our own spiritual lives and have a spiritual checkup before God. I will often read to you First uh, Corinthians chapter eleven and. and in this text, in verse 28, look what it says. Before you receive the Lord's Supper, he says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. Every Sunday, when, when I'm leading the Lord's Supper, you know this, I will often ask you to invite the Holy Spirit to make an assessment of you. And to ask this question, Lord God, is there any sin in my actions or my attitude? Both of those. And then if, there are, if there's any sin present in this checkup, that you repent. That you repent of an attitude of sin, of an action of sin. And having renewed your faith in Jesus Christ, and having renewed your commitment to His cause, you rightly receive the Lord's Supper. 
These are checkups that we need. We come to church to, to get a checkup into what God is doing. And so realizing that there's an adversary who's at work against us, it becomes all more all the more important that we do this. Paul says, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Here's what you need to know. Satan wants to hinder your spiritual development. The last thing Satan wants you to have, or for me to have, is an authentic faith. He does not want this established. So what is he going to do? He's going to do anything he can to, to cause us to doubt, to cause us to, to slip away, away from the Lord. So we need these checkups. We need these times when we're, we're able to, to look at our lives and consider what God wants for us. You've got to be intentional about this. You've got to be intentional. It's just like your own physical health. You've got to be intentional about it. That's why it's so important to go to the doctor and to the dentist. I hate going to the doctor and to the dentist. Amen. That's right. It's miserable. I go to the doctor every time, and he looks at me, and he tells me I'm overweight. And every time it's a joke, it's like, compared to who? And apparently, there is this worldwide male person, my age, my height, who weighs 185 pounds. And he's healthy. And I said, where does this guy live? He said, strangely enough, Europe. Our health is based on that of Europeans. And I, I just tell him, I don't agree. I, I want to be able to whoop any European my age, my height. And 185 is not going to get it done. And I like MMs to the praise of God's great name. Amen. So don't tell me what healthy is. If I can whoop them, I'm, I'm better, right? Wrong. My doctor says wrong. Your blood pressure. All these, and so the doctor, he checks, he says, I, I love my dentist. I love my cow. I love spending time with him. But I don't like it when he takes out a metal hook and starts poking me in the mouth. I love Cindy Love, but I hate it when she scrapes my teeth. I hate it. But here's what I know. These checkups, they're preventative. They will keep me from giving, getting sick in other ways. Here's what I know about a lot of believers. There are many who've lost their way. Let me tell you where it starts. They stop doing the checkups. They stop worshiping on Sunday morning. They stop serving. They stop being connected. They stop getting equipped. They stop sharing their faith. It's your sign. Listen, if you're not if you're not connected, if you're not worshiping every Sunday, if you're not connected, if you're not serving, if you're not getting equipped, if you're not multiplying faith, that should be a red flag. That should be a red flag to you to say, you know what? I'm in danger of, of losing an authentic faith. I am not on a solid foundation. My wheels are turning, but where am I going? There's a there's good reason for you to think that you may slip away from the Lord and from the provision and blessing that He wants to have for your life. It's so important to have this regular spiritual checkups. They're crucial to authentic faith. Third, establishing an authentic faith requires recognizing afflictions. Recognizing afflictions. You've got to know what they are. You've got to know what they're about. Being a Christian does not keep us from facing afflictions. Being a Christian keeps us from facing afflictions alone. We will never go through pain and suffering without the presence of God's Holy Spirit, without His love, without His power. Paul warned him with his testimony. He said, look, when I was back in Judah, what happened in Philippi, there was affliction. And then he warned him with his words. He said, for you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. 
This is what Jesus said, John 16, 33. What did Jesus say? I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Understand, God allows affliction. He has a purpose for it. He has a good purpose for every trial you and I face. Look what it says in the book of James. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You're like, wait, what? Count it a joy that my marriage is painful and difficult. Count it a joy that my, it's difficult raising my kids. It's difficult having these parents. That this job is, is, is a pain. That I've lost this job. That my health crisis is cancer. I'm supposed to count it joy? Yes. Why? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God wants you to lack in nothing. So He is going to allow us to go through afflictions. And through those afflictions, strengthen our faith. Those of you who play basketball, you know what this word means. Suicides. If you've ever run suicides, show of hands. Oh, they're miserable. Our coach was crazy. He would have us run suicides, then we had to shoot free throws, exhausted. And for every free throw that we missed, we had to run another suicide. And I remember a buddy of mine looking at me saying, this man's trying to kill us. And it felt like he was, but he wasn't. You know what he was doing? He was strengthening us. He was preparing us for what was ahead. He was getting us ready for the fourth quarter. He was getting us ready for free throws when we were tired. He was getting us ready for the trial that was ahead, for the faith challenge that was ahead. And please understand, that's what God is doing with many of our lives right now. This affliction, this trial you're under, it's not chance, it's not coincidence, it's providence. Now, please hear me. Understand this. Do what I'm telling you to do right now. If you are facing affliction and a trial, Pray for God to take it away. Ask God to make you whole, to, to heal you, to give you what you need. Ask Him to do miracles. Ask Him to do it. And if He doesn't do it, know that that affliction is there on purpose. And that what God is doing is giving you a blessing through affliction. Recognize affliction for what it is. It's God's being for strengthening you. Some of you are running suicides right now, not because God doesn't love you, but because He does. And He is strengthening your faith and making it real and authentic. Listen, God knows that these sufferings, that this going through pain, it, it causes us to rely on Him. And the more we rely on Him, the stronger we are. Recognize what afflictions are and what they're for. Last. Establishing an authentic faith, it requires retaining focus. Listen, there is never a time when Satan is not working to destroy your faith. Paul, he, again, he's just so worried. For this reason, I could, when I could bear no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Satan always wants to create this harmony. Here's what you need to know. Satan always wants to create this harmony within you. He wants you to doubt. He, he wants you to question yourself, to question what you believe. He always wants you to be uh, discomforted in the hope that you have. He also wants you to have conflict with other people, especially the people that are family and close friends. He does not want you connected well. He wants conflict not only within, 
but with other people. And ultimately, He wants you to have conflict with God. He wants you to doubt Him. He wants you to disrespect Him. He wants you to have this day for His plan for your life. He wants that. So given that fact, here's what we have to understand, is that God is working all the things the enemy is trying to do that are, that are hurtful. God is working them for good. See, Satan is always trying to work to cause us harm. And here's what's so great about our God. He works all things for good for those who love Him, who have been called according to His promise. This is the way God has always worked. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? Remember his brother sold him into slavery? Do you remember what he said to them in Genesis chapter 50? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Why? So that the family would be saved. So that there would be the gospel would be able to go forward. There's no greater picture of the power of God to use pain for a godly divine purpose than the cross of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? This is Mark chapter 9. Go ahead and put that one up, guys. Mark chapter 9, verse 31. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. What could be worse than that? And not just a death, but death on a cross. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Here's what Jesus knew. Satan was going to try to do this uses for evil, but God meant it for good. He knew after the affliction was over, heaven was his future. Here's what we can know. This world is as bad as it gets for us. That our hope is in Jesus Christ. He has gone ahead. He is coming again. And if that is our authentic faith, we have hope. And we have a life. It is anchored in Him. It is living. So that we have a living hope and a living life in Christ Jesus. Let me ask you, does that describe you? Is your life and your hope anchored in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting in a created thing? You've got to understand that created thing is going to fail you. Christ alone. Are you trusting in Christ alone, by grace through faith, in Christ alone? Let me ask you, are you walking on the the disciples' pathway? Are you worshiping, connecting, serving, being equipped and multiplying your faith? If not, red flags should be going up and you should be repenting. You should be saying, God, i got to make some changes right now. i got to renew my commitment to your cause because I need an authentic faith where I'm having relational investments in worship, in connect group, in serving, and being equipped and in multiplying my faith. Let me ask you, are you investing in others? Who are you inviting to Easter service with you? Who are you bringing with you? Who are you praying will come to saving faith? Who are you praying will return to saving faith? Because you know some who have slid away. And they're in the cold waters of this world and they need the sure foundation of Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, what's your affliction today? Are you trusting in Christ through your affliction? Do you understand what it is? It's a blessing in disguise. It's God's purpose to strengthen your faith. Are you keeping that focus? Are you focused on that reality, or have you gotten unfocused? Have you found have you found yourself looking more at your problems than looking at Christ? Remember what Peter did? Don't do what Peter did. Remember when Peter got off the boat and he was walking towards Jesus? He took his eyes off of Jesus and put it on the waves and the wind, and he began to think. It may very well be today that some of you are surrounded by winds and waves. Get your eyes on Jesus and call out to Him to save you. And I want to invite you to do that today. 
but we're going to sing praise to our God. We're going to talk about He's our one thing and just give Him glory. Some of you may want to come and pray, so we want us to have that opportunity now. So let's stand together as we pray together. Father, there's one thing that will always remain, and that is Your grace given to us in Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for some today who need to come and, and ask You to be their Savior and Lord, who need to ask You to see them through this, this conflict, through this this tough time, who need to commit themselves to, to worship, connect, serve, equip, multiply, one of those steps. Someone need to ask you to intervene in the lives of someone they love. And Lord, we can do this with confidence because you don't change. You're always loving. You're always present. You're always at work. You always have this, this purpose and this plan. May we today join you in it as we praise you and as we pray to you in Jesus' name. Amen.